The following episode of FOFOP is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. FOFOP advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Hello and welcome to FOFOP. I'm Will Anderson and joining me, uh, guest Charlie, good to have him back. We've just laughed as hard as we've laughed in months oh and so that's the perfect time to start recording now that we've you know, been as funny as we could possibly be today. We, oh, anyway, it's Justin Hamilton. Hello, Justin <laughs> Hamilton. <laughs> I honestly, you nearly sent me into a uh, male menopause then. I haven't laughed like that in ages you know that, 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 it's that it's that beautiful laugh that you lose from childhood when you just can't stop laughing and then just as you're a little bit fine you start snorting again and it's uh anyway i'm ready for a no nice yeah it's it, i mean it's <laughs> what a great way to start a podcast by explaining to people how much fun we were having laughing yeah. at a thing that they don't get to laugh at yeah. i think that's I, basically we, anyway we can't recreate the conversation no, but but i will say this I was talking to Justin about the idea that there's someone in my life who's, you know, fallen for a few conspiracy theories. You know, Let's call them with- Charlie Clawson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> be great if it was Charlie. If Charlie just went full Q anon, like oh, yeah. she's been like, I've got, I've got a kid now, and I'm up late, and I've been reading some websites. Oh. And did you know that Bill Gates is trying to put a microchip in us? And I'd be like, Charlie. Thank God we can finally tap into that lucrative Joe Rogan audience. <laughs> yeah, and it is lucrative. <laughs> I mean, between us, we are Joe Rogan. Right. Like, you know, like I smoke as, enough, as much pot as Joe Rogan smokes and Charlie is super fit. He could hunt elk and he what? could believe in QAnon. Yeah. But, but like, we're like, we're, we're Joe Rogan. I'm Joe, he's Rogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And he and I reckon uh, Clawson... We change our names by Deepol to yeah. Joe and Rogan just so we can call our show... The Rogan the Joe, Joe Rogan podcast. Jo- oh, the Rogan Joe show. <laughs> <laughs> and we're sponsored by an Indian restaurant. So we're Rogan Joe and we just yeah. eat Rogan Josh. That's great. For the entire time. When he tries to sue you, what are you talking about? Mate, it's our names. Changed them legally. Yeah. Even got proof of it on I'm this podcast. Joe, he's Rogan. He's Rogan. Charlie's like, no, 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 you're Rogan. I'm Joe, remember? <laughs> no, like, oh, shit. He's got us. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so you yes. have someone in your life at the moment who sometimes traps you in conversations. And yeah, you're well, when this person knows that I don't believe in the things that they uh, want to have a conversation right. about. And so I, my suspicion is... Because this person is intellectually curious and somebody who is like, you know, I think that they know that some of the things that they're going to say, you know, say in this conversation probably aren't true. Are we still talking about Charlie? Yeah, still Charlie. <laughs> For the sake of this anecdote, let's just say it's Charlie, right? It's, Charlie will be fine with the fact because people know it's not Charlie. No, it's not. And if we can just imagine it's Charlie, yeah. this works better. Yeah. And so... He's holding a dead elk. What I... <laughs> said to you was yep. that I know I can sense what is she's trying hey sorry hey. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> I mean he is they this is why we don't work for ATO <laughs> 
<laughs> they um, keep cornering me and starting conversations that I know will lead to um, conversations about things that I just... Like, I already know that I will not agree with them. Yes. And I do not want to spend my night then having to not agree with them. I'd rather us just talk about something else yeah. that we do agree with. I'm not going to change their mind in that moment. It's really just like I'm the fish and they've put a little bait on the hook. Yeah. And so I am just going to ignore the bait, right? Yeah. But what I am not good at yet is making a smooth transition <laughs> from this entree into the world of let's have a debate around, you know, QAnon. Right. Into me just moving it on to whatever the next conversation is. It's so, ironic because you're so quick on stage, but in the real world you are mildly crippled. When I'm on the spot like that, <laughs> it is only a superpower when there are bright lights shining in my face. In fact, that's what I did. Grab, hang on. I just need a torch. <laughs> yeah. Just so you can shine this torch directly in yeah. my eyes. And give me a red when there's five <laughs> to go. <laughs> Just wind me up at 60. I'll probably do 70, 75, but give me a light at 60. So when I leave the room, drop some ACDC. Yeah, exactly. exactly. In fact, shine this torch in my eyes. And if you could play, just go dun, 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 dun. You don't have to play it. It'll be great. So some of my transitions to Charlie when he brings these things up have been a little clumsy. And I was telling you that one of them was... This is a nice kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> and now, to be fair, I was at the time in the kitchen. Yeah, so right. Like, that's good. Yeah. I have immediately looked around. Yeah. And I've gone, help. What can I do? Yeah. And I've just gone, I'm in a kitchen. Yeah. What can I say about this kitchen to change the conversation? I said, this is a nice kitchen. That was it. That yeah. was it. You panicked, and that's all you could come up with. And I was really. Impressed by the idea that you're the world's worst Kaiser Sozo. Yeah. <laughs> I just see things and say things. Hi. Yeah. What was the name that I came up? Jeremy Kitchen. Jeremy Kitchen. I said, I'm not even Will Anderson. <laughs> yeah. I'm Jeremy Kitchen. You've got so many names this show so far. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> Anyway, it was a whole thing. Yeah. There was a lot more to it. Yeah. It's no point trying to recreate it for the sake of, you know, but we did. this podcast. But at yeah. least we gave you a sense yeah. of the ridiculous thing that was making us laugh. I um, like to think that what it was was a little warm up mm. before we started recording. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. you got to stretch. Mm. You can't just walk in and sit down and, you know, start recording and expect it to be as funny as this. No, 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 you're right. We'd, at our age, we'd do a hamstring. Oh, my God. So you many know, Will and Justin Lower back. both did their hamstrings. Oh, no, I reckon it was that Kaiser Sozo thing. I was just pretending to limp. It wasn't even Justin. That was Jeremy Kitchen. It was Jeremy Kitchen. Jeremy Kitchen limping away from yeah. the house. Nice, uh, nice kitchen. <laughs> so, it's a nice kitchen, says no one ever. Uh, what, I, what I love about this whole story is that I can picture the blank look in your eyes as you are desperately listening to someone try to reel you into a conversation that you don't want to have and the reason you don't want to have it is because you like this person I like and this the last person. thing you need is for them to give you a reason to just so be mildly annoyed i'm doing them a favor you are because i know how quickly i could go from liking this person to being annoyed by this person yeah and all that would all that would involve is me going 
Yeah, why do you think that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> so you're avoiding it. You're doing the right thing. Yeah, sometimes you've got to avoid it. So You're being um, generous. Yeah, I think so too. I, I would like to think that my only motivations for it, because in a different time and in a different scenario with a different person, that would be a fine way to pass an hour at a party. Oh, yeah. Hearing some idiot say a lot of idiotic things yeah. and then just gently sort of probing their idiocy is actually not a bad way to spend an hour at a party. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, the whole time it's happening as well, all you're thinking is, I can't wait to tell everyone about this. <laughs> so you're enjoying it in the moment and you're planning for heaps of fun later. But when you're going to see that person again yeah. and you do like them, you can't put yourself and them in that situation. So and if I thought that, because I do think that we have a responsibility to, um, you know, obviously some of these ideas are incredibly dangerous. Mm. So like if you were at a party in, you know, Nazi Germany and some, one of your friends just wanted to keep talking about how good it was to walk like a goose and raise right. your hand in the air and yeah. stuff and you just kept going, yeah, but this is a nice kitchen. Everybody yeah, it's so this good. Kitchen is. Yeah. And when uh, you say, this is a nice kitchen, and then you walk out and you change your identity and run away. It's great. The <laughs> last thing you need to do is draw attention to yourself. But, yeah, so there's circumstances in which, of course, I would engage in that conversation. Yeah. But being at a party, yeah. when you're not going to change someone's mind, you're only just going to end up frustrating it. it is, that's the time for small talk around yeah. kitchen appliances. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it, at least they didn't go really specific. At least they yeah. didn't go, so well, this is a good kettle. Yeah. Yeah, then they may have... this fridge. Yeah. No one's... That would have given you away. But keeping it broad allowed them to fill in the gaps of which part of the kitchen you really liked, which also then allowed you to escape that conversation. Also, you wouldn't want to be the person in Nazi Germany who was like, you know, talking to the guy who was bringing up the ideas about the Jews and stuff. Right. And you were just like, hey, this is a nice kitchen. Check out that oven. And he was like, that's a good idea. And then you're like, oh, oh God, what have I done? This is how it happens. You think you're doing the right thing? All I was trying to do was... Oh, this I've is added a... to this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a monster now too. Oh. I reckon, and I have done that. I have accidentally made a situation much worse while trying to be, you know, trying to divert it into somewhere that's a little bit more fun. <laughs> and then you say, oh, I haven't seen your sister in a long time. How's your sister? Oh, well, let me tell you about her. And you go, this is a disaster. This is a disaster. They were so tight and this is a massive fallout. I don't even really know her that well, you know. Yeah, when you stumble face first, you're just like, oh, you're like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, hang on. That wasn't the point of what I was saying. This is meant to go somewhere. You know what? Yeah. This is a really nice kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in hindsight, it is a work of genius. It's great. It's so innocuous. It allows you to cartwheel out of there. You're like, we're in the bedroom. And I said, yeah, let's go back to the kitchen yeah. and check it out. It's yeah. really nice. <laughs> oh, man. It is. It, it's it's funny. So I started uh, working. Uh, I don't know if I've really told you about this, but I've uh, gotten a little four week contract working on a quiz show called uh, The Chase, hosted by Andrew O'Keefe and um, just helping out with the, uh, the the Chaser guys. So, you know, Ma Matthew Parkinson, which has been really nice. And that's been heaps of fun. So for people who haven't seen the television show, yeah. The Chase. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen a full episode of oh, The Chase. Okay. And, but I have an understanding of, well, let me explain to you <laughs> what I think the TV show The Chase is. Yeah. And then you tell me 
how close I am to whether it's true or not. Right? Oh yeah, this is like a. I feel like many years ago we did a version of Deal or No Deal like this. So I'll be curious. To, <laughs> I feel like you'll be closer to the chase than you were that suitcase game. Well, there's a series of contestants <laughs> from the public. Yes. Versus some sort of regulars who all have like these larger than life characters. Yes. There's some sort of like matronly type woman. Yes. Uh, I don't know what her, like she has a nickname of some kind, like yes. the matron or the. It the, might be the matron. The, the, I haven't met her yet. The queen. The queen. Or the. The lady. The lady. Of quizzes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not that. <laughs> but it's something, uh, the, uh, the no, I was going to say the madam the, or the mistress, the madam? but it's a 5pm show. <laughs> that would be great. The mistress. <laughs> <laughs> She'll fuck you up here and your family. <laughs> comes out <laughs> i hope you enjoyed last night with your wife because i enjoyed it tonight boom capital of pakistan is <laughs> okay so they all have characters matthew yes. parkinson who is the one you mentioned who, yes who we both know from of course he was originally in the empty pockets yeah and- like one of the like one of the actually formative acts of my teenage years. I mean, growing up watching the big gig, yes, we both did. And yeah, yeah, really just doing amazing anarchic stuff. I probably not recognized as how amazing it was because they were on a show also with the Doug Anthony All-Stars, but well, they were the lead in as well. Every week though, it was them doing the Lager Boys and then it was the All-Stars. And I have to be honest, I was as excited to see the Lager Boys as well as Dan. And I think without the Doug Anthony All-Stars, that they probably would have been considered the genuinely anarchic part of that show. That yeah. show was, you know, I think anarchic from top to bottom, yeah. like truly, particularly when you look back at the context of it and then they've never really been able to do anything like it ever again since that, you know, it, it is just an incredible, you know, show and something that is like the legacy of the big gig in the history of Australian comedy would be, Maybe other than the late show, but like in stand-up comedy to the big gig, you know, live performance. We all grew up watching that show, yeah. wanting to, you know, like Definitely if we could live. just like yeah. do something like the big gig, we would just be so happy. And I think it really influenced like the attitude that we took into being comedians. A lot mm. of that was based on what we thought being a comedian was was based on what we were seeing, you know, on the TV on the big gig. So, you know, an iconic show. Yeah, but they were an iconic act as well, and two. Really great blokes from the world of comedy, both oh, the maps great. as well. Like yeah. you know, they are genuinely two of those guys that you're always just happy to to run into, and you know, super friendly, super intelligent, yeah, interesting guys. But Matt, do you uh, know what Park- his name is on the on Matt the Parkinson? So like, yeah. well, here's what I famously remember. Because Matt Parkinson always knew he was smart, but he won Sale of the Century. Century, yeah. And that was back in the days when maybe I was early on gigging or I was going to shows and I hadn't started gigging yet. I can't remember. It was in that period. And it was one night at the Prince Pat Hotel, Dave Taranto's room, the cheese shop. And Parker came down after he had won the lot on oh. Sale of the Century. And it wasn't like on a celebrity you know, show. He went on yeah. regular Sale of the Century and won everything yeah and came down to the prince pat and shouted everyone drinks oh like like everyone in the audience everyone well just when you think someone's awesome then you go on top it like that's great what a great thing to do that's the kind of thing that you like to think that if you did end up with a windfall like that you would go and do 
something that is, for the most part, a really fun and nice thing to do, but for everyone in that room, a really unique experience. I mean, it was, it felt amazing that one of our idiot friends, because that's what that room felt like to the audience and the performers was, and that's why it was such a great honor to be invited into that cheese shop community was that it did feel like everyone was friends and that everyone who went and saw the show was part of the show as well. And, um, so when he came down and did that, it was, you were just like, how cool is this? Yeah. One of our friends just won. I didn't know him at the time, but you're like, one of our friends just won Sale of the Century and now he's buying us all drinks. This is <laughs> fucking cool. Yeah. So he's always been super smart. Yeah. And now he is one of these like super smart people yeah. on the chase. So I, from, so do you from know my understanding, okay. So it's kind of like an Avengers-like crew, right? There's yes. like... However many of them there are, like, I'm going to say five, but I have no idea. It could be fucking four, could be 20. Um, it's He is, give me a clue. Well. What is his character dressed like or will that give it away? No, no, no. He wears, he wears kind of all black and he wears a really long coat and, you know, because he's a tall guy. The wizard. But he's tall. The giant, giant, giant man. So close. Big, the big man. Uh, big guy. A specific big uh, man? Andre the Giant. <laughs> LeBron James. <laughs> Luke Longley. <laughs> it's the mistress. Stretch. And Luke Longley. Um, the tall man. The tall... Biblical. The, uh, 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 David and Goliath. 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 Okay. He's called Giant Man. No, he's called Goliath. <laughs> so, so, you, cause, so you've got your four contestants... Andrew O'Keefe hosts, has a little chat, yeah, and then they bring out the first contestant and you get to say, who do you want to play against? And then everyone... So each of the contestants, so the contestants aren't playing together, they're playing... They are playing together. So so what happens okay. is... Sorry, did you want to guess? Okay, well, so, because this is where it gets more confusing for me. Yes. Because I know there's a part where they essentially, the chase. The, yes. The, from the name of the show... And these people are the chasers. So at some stage, there is a tally of answers that has been compiled, I thought, by the team of contestants, but I don't know how. Yeah. And then the chaser comes out and they have to mow it down in a specific amount of time or questions. And so, uh, and it's like, you know, say they get 16 out of what, 20 or whatever the fucking number is. Yeah. Like it always seems to be around 16 or 20 or something like that from the little yeah. bits that I've seen. And then the chaser comes out and they have to answer that many questions correctly. And if they answer them, they get nothing. And if they if they beat the chaser, they win some sort of prize. But I don't know how the team bit works, the yeah. individual contestants. Is that close? Well, you know what? It, you, you've just made me realise it's like the NFL. You can understand NFL football on a really simple basis. You get 10 attempts to throw the ball, uh, four attempts to throw the ball 10 yards, and if you don't, the other team gets the ball and you have to get from one end to the other. But then you delve into it and you go, there is a lot going on here. And that's so you've ostensibly done that with the chase. That is basically exactly what it is. So you have your four contestants. Uh, and but how does that bit of it work? The four contestants right. at the start, because I, I, that I, I, I yes. don't really understand. So that. the contestants come out one at a time. They then Andrew asks them like a minute's worth of questions. However many they get right, say they get eight right. They then turn around and wait for the chaser to come out. They don't know who it's going to be. It's very secretive. You're not even allowed to call them by their names in case someone hears before the show starts. So the chasers are all hidden off somewhere. And so they'll say, 
you know, Andrew O'Keefe will say, who do you want to play tonight? And they'll say, oh, I want to play the super nerd. You know, I reckon we might have a bit in common. I might be just a bit smarter than them. Then they turn around. There's all this fanfare. Who's it going to be? Let's check the chase. And then, <laughs> and then they walk out and then they come out and they say a funny line and they're and they, they're in character. There's Super Nerd, there's Goliath, there's the Mistress, the Matron, the G'day, how's it going over there? Uh, there's the Shark, you know. So Greg the, Norman? Yeah, Greg Norman. <laughs> yeah, he comes out. We have to turn the lights down in the studio. It is not good on the eyes. <laughs> be great if one of them was just Greg Norman. <laughs> Doesn't know anything. <laughs> You're too busy dazzled. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Greg, it's on at five o'clock. You're going to have to put on pants. <laughs> oh, mate, you're going to have to. <laughs> it's a family show. Um, so then the the chaser will give them a deal. So say they got $8,000 worth of questions, right? He'll say, I'm going to offer you 1000 or I'm going to offer you 20000 And depending on what you say... That means you only have to get a certain amount of questions right, right to stay in the game against the chaser. So does that make sense? Okay. Oh, yeah. So it's a bidding system. Yeah. So basically the higher the reward. Yeah. That means you have high, to get... But you have to get more questions. More right. questions. And uh, the middle is right where you were at probably anyway from what you've just done. And then lower is to make sure that you get to go back to the table where the other contestants are. Because you want to go back there to get to the final round. And you also want to get back there because whatever money you win goes to the pot. And so over the course of the four contestants, you build up how much money you've made. Okay, so that initial bit is all yep. about compiling. You're playing individually, but yep. you're compiling amount of money for everybody. For everybody, because in and the then end that's you go... the amount that you play off against. Right, so, so you play the one-on-one against the yeah. chaser, and all you have to do is match the same right amount of questions depending on where you agree. Right. And then at the end... So you can lose that and you're out of the game. And then the team is reduced by to three or to two. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So there's genuine stakes on the line, yes. which is if you risk it too much and yeah. you get eliminated, that just means at the end they don't have you around for the... To, well, to they don't have your part of the money you were meant to build up. Right. And it also means the final round is you get two minutes of questions and as a team you get to answer as many as possible. And then the chaser comes out and in the same amount of time has to answer a whole new set of questions. But every time they get a question wrong, the team gets to answer it. And if they get it right, the chaser loses a point. So the pressure is on because they're supposedly the best of the best. Yeah, right. So it's a double jeopardy too. Yes. Yes, right. Right. And of course you want four there because if there's four of you, that's four of you using your brain power to build up as much as possible. And I watched Matthew Parkinson like fucking pull it out, get 21 questions right in the final round, right as the siren, like – as he was saying it, the siren went and watching Parco, all seven foot nine of him, stand up and raise his fists in the air and accidentally hit a plane overhead was <laughs> like it was it, genuinely really exciting. <laughs> like for someone who hasn't seen a lot of sport this year, that was one of the best things I've seen in ages. <laughs> because it's interesting, isn't it? That, that obviously, because with a show like that, what mm. you always are interested in is like, does the show want the chase chasers yeah. 
to win. Yes. Yeah. Right, yeah, okay. because now they're like if, Man. you know, when you lose, suddenly, well, there's $35,000 gone or however much the team has won. And then, of course, then whoever's left in the team gets to split it up two ways, three ways. Now, here's the thing. If you get down and all four don't get through, there's the Lazarus rule where you're allowed to bring one of them back and then that person plays off against the chaser. Wow. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. You see what I mean about the NFL analogy? Like, yeah. Easy to understand, but but there's enough kind of gameplay going on and then all the chasers are really delightful. How many uh, – this – I don't know if this is – like if any of this is stuff that you can't talk about, just okay. tell me you can't talk about it. So um, – uh, how many episodes do they film in a go? Is that something that you can tell me? That's fine, isn't it? They, well, Eddie always talks about them doing five or six millionaire hot yeah. in a day. Like, yeah. I, I think that people have the understanding that the way that game shows work is that they film yeah. more of them in one day than they do of others. So I don't yeah. think you, my gut is you're probably not giving away any any trade in, secrets. Yeah, secret. No. Well, they knock off three. Yeah, okay. yeah, which is really impressive because there's a lot of moving parts and, you know, especially on the set where everyone is in COVID precautions as well. Everyone's masked up, you know, everyone's uh, like they're really even on the set with social distancing. Like Andrew O'Keefe, who is a machine, <laughs> like it is, it's a perpetual motion machine and it's quite amazing to watch. But Imagine you've been doing this show for so long and then there's now suddenly, oh, you can't quite stand there and you can't quite stand there. So he's had to be, it's such a small thing, but you know what it's like. Imagine if you had to start repositioning yourself on Gruen, you know. Well, I mean, it's interesting because like, you know, obviously that is a conversation we're having at the moment. Yeah. Like we start in a couple of weeks and, um, you know, Russell's going to be in Melbourne. There's going to be no studio audience. Like we have to be, we had to build a bigger desk. Right. Like, yeah, they came in Jaws style. We're going to need a bigger desk because yeah. <laughs> everybody has to sit a certain, you know, amount apart from each other. Yeah. And then of course that sounds simple enough, but you know, when you're shooting a television show, you've got cameras all set up to shoot. Like the set is built so that like, it looks like, you know, a specific thing over somebody's shoulder. Yeah. And if you move them over like half a meter, it doesn't actually look like a specific thing anymore. So even on a show like ours that doesn't have necessarily those same moving, moving parts. Yeah. Like I know the amount of things that like, you know, have to be completely different. So for a show like that, where, you know, when you're talking about a show where the host and the there's an intimacy between yeah. the host and the contestants and these contestants are not part of the crew. They're not television performers. Like they haven't been to, you know, 10 meetings beforehand. There's like, you're going to stand here and you can trust them to stand there or not shake your hand or not want to give you a hug or whatever, you know, whatever else that you need to do in those situations. It's yeah. a, it, it's very, very, very different. Do they normally do it in front of an audience or is it, ne- I don't know, or is it never in front of an audience? Uh, that's Interesting. I don't really know. Okay. The, uh, I hadn't even thought to ask that, actually. Uh, God, I feel like if they had an audience, it would really blow out because there's a, it's a pretty engaging show and it's pretty funny. Uh, and I could imagine with an audience there, the last thing any performer needs is more people enjoying you. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, like you can't help it. It's just, oh well, you enjoyed that. Here's three more, and now the day has really blown out. But um, it's it's been a really positive experience. Everyone's so lovely and so nice, and it's just sort of. But 
on that first day in, that was the most amount of people I'd seen since the Adelaide Fringe in March. Mm. And it was, and everyone was great. Everyone's been so lovely. It's been really professional, so clean, all the masks and everything. Everyone's really looking out for it. So but what even you're saying then, is it was nothing like the Adelaide Fringe? Oh, it was nothing like the Adelaide Fringe. <laughs> <laughs> I've never experienced this. <laughs> but um, that first day of like, suddenly it's a lot of names to remember and it's a lot of, okay, that person does this, that person does that, that person does that, yep. So it's like, well, thank goodness everyone's really great. It's like that is overwhelming. Yeah. Like I think that's overwhelming when you're a member of a, like particularly if if it's a work environment and there's a lot of moving parts. Like there are camera people and stuff at the ABC that I've known for a very long time whose name I could probably recollect like if I sat down and and think about it. Like if I can... If someone's saying, hey, blah, 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 Jeremy Kitchen this. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I can immediately picture in my head who Jeremy Kitchen is, yeah, right? Yeah, he's in the but, kitchen. <laughs> but in that moment when Jeremy's like, hey, can you move over a little? And I yeah. want to say thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. I cannot remember that his name is Jeremy. Yeah, yeah. That's- and that's – and I don't think I'm, – I mean, I'm terrible with names. Like that is if, – if, if I could have some simple skill well- – yeah, you know like the capacity to remember people's names would be something that I would absolutely love. Well, you know the uh, Dunbar theory, don't you? Which is your brain is hotwired to know the two hundred and fifty people in your village, and our village just got way too big. Yeah. So, <laughs> and like I meet people all the time. And also, you know, the other thing about it is it's the same with uh, people that I've worked at festivals all over the world that I really like and have had a great time. But the problem is I don't see them that often. And when I do see them, it's for a super intense time, intense in lots of good ways. But then you have this super intense time and then you don't see them again for another 47 weeks. And it's and that's what it's or been like for 10 years. another or, 80 you know, right. weeks or another, like, you know, yeah. sometimes it's fucking five years. You had like, you know, this super, like, you know, you worked with this person for fucking five nights in a row, but you haven't seen them in five years. And you and you shared all those great experiences, and it's a very. Sometimes it's like catching up with an old high school friend that you really dig, but you just go, "We like that was great," but I have a feeling you're not into Nirvana anymore. We've both been away. <laughs> we've both been. We've both been like I've, I'm a very different person to who I was five years ago. So I'm a I can only imagine five months ago. Well, I think that that is maybe that'll be the great leveler. Like there is a part of me that like I want to lobby for a do-over. Let's just yep. start again. Yep. There's so I think that we all understand there were a whole bunch of things about the way we were living in our society that were not working. Right. And and still seeing not working as well. Well, that's the problem. Can't we take a do-over? Can't we, you know, say let's just fucking start again on this. I agree with <laughs> all of that. I agree with all of it. And it's I said the other day to someone, I said it's like the building was knocked down and there are so many there was a whole bunch of flaws with the building. The toilet didn't work and the chuck full know, of asbestos. Yeah, and all these sort of things. And there's this demand from some people that we rebuild it exactly the way it was before. We've got it's been knocked down. Mm. We can start again. Let's have a conversation about putting fucking solar panels on the roof when we rebuild it. Oh, yeah. It's It's been really fascinating watching the pushback in many ways, even on a 
on an insignificant level. Like, of course, politically, etc., the pushback is very obvious. But even on a uh, really unimportant level, the dialogue between Tenet being a hit and being a failure depends on where you're reading the article. Internationally, it's been a massive hit. But in America... It has, of course, not done that well. So Americans reported as, well, this is disappointing. And the rest of the world's reporting is going, oh, well, this has kept cinemas open. But also, who knows, what do we have to compare it with? Who knows if it's doing good or great or indifferent anyway? Like, well, it's, 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 and also, all those things have been revealed to be made up. In a world where people can't go out to do things, how do you measure things by people going out to do them? You can't. Yeah. That idea, like, I think that quantitative measurements in general like for a long time i think that we've had an imbalance in our society between qualitative and quantitative we measure everything so much by numbers and amount of clicks and amount of likes and amount of eyeballs and yeah you know we put the value on things by the capacity for large audiences yeah like just because like six million people have watched something on tiktok doesn't make it not shit yeah things <laughs> like i mean i'm not saying like there's plenty of good things on yeah, TikTok no, 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 i've no. seen as well but I'm just saying that just because Joe Rogan's podcast has the most listeners doesn't mean that Joe Rogan's podcast is the best podcast. I don't even think it's as good as Rogan Joe's. <laughs> Brought to you by Rogan Josh. Yes. Like eat curry and they do a podcast. Like that's amazing. It's Those like curries hot ones, are hot. But just like... <laughs> Just bowls of curry. Just bowls of curry. Increasingly hotter bowls of curry. It's just you and it's just you Rogan seen, and Joe. You Joe's crying. Rogan, Rogan Joe with yeah. eating Rogan Josh. Yep. Have your crying segment. Have it sponsored. Imagine that. That'd be great. People would wait for it. Oh, here's a bit where they start crying. So you, you mentioned uh, Tenet. Yes. Uh, I've not seen it yet, as you know, but... Um, uh, you've been on your podcast uh, having a look at Christopher Nolan movies. Tell yes. people t- tell people about your podcast and and what I'm talking about. Oh yeah, for sure. So, uh, so the podcast that I do is called Big Squid, and it's pretty much a celebration of art and entertainment, all sorts from any era. And I have uh, lots of different guests. So anytime you're listening to one, you could get a comic book review. You could get. Uh, review of Brian Ferry's first solo album from 1973, and then you can hear Ben Elwood and I discuss the Prestige. <laughs> so it's it's, but uh, it's kind of I wanted to create a podcast that had a tone that is really positive and fun without telling anyone anywhere in the world, hey, everything's going to be good. <laughs> you know, just try and give a nice vibe. So Ben Elwood and I have been re-watching the Nolan movies from his first film, Following, and his short, Doodlebug, and have been trying to find new angles and uh, re-evaluating them. And we're up to, I think, uh, the last one that came out, The Dark Knight. And we're so up- I think this would be a, a fun... So recently I read an article where they ranked Christopher Nolan's Oh, yeah, movies, right. I'm always right? fascinated by that. And... So just before we started this, I was like, you know what? I'll just Google Christopher Nolan movie strength. Okay. Uh, thinking, you know, the article that I read would come up. Probably top three. Well, as it turns out, I can't remember which of these articles it was that I read because ranking Christopher Nolan movies is something that a whole bunch of people have done recently. Yeah. So I'm going to read out... That's the, what we do, isn't it? Something happens. Better rank it. <laughs> I 
And again, so this speaks very much to the idea that I was speaking about before, which is why? Why do we need to rank them? Mm. Like he's made a whole bunch of things and different people will like different ones. But it's going to be ironic because I'm going to get you to rank them. But, oh, yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's funny because it's like my favourite movies, I can understand why someone wouldn't think it's their best. Of course. Like if everyone's different, but, has different tastes. Yeah. And that was the, what I was trying to say. Like my favorite podcast is a podcast called Are You a Dude? It's been going since 2006. It is nowhere near the biggest podcast in the world, but it is my favorite podcast in the world. The fact that it is not listened to by hundreds of millions of people um, does not bother me in any way. I just I just love it. I just think it's a great podcast. It hates, it, like, I'll be honest with you. It kills me that my podcast fits into that category and I'm not number one. But anyway, keep going. But all of our <laughs> podcasts fit into that category. No, I know. I mean, this is, this, you're on a spin-off of a not-that-successful-in-the-first-place podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to keep spinning until <laughs> so I get it down to one. This isn't Young Sheldon or Frasier. <laughs> this, is yeah. like, this is like if Mad About You had a spin-off. Yeah. <laughs> a bit cranky. Okay. <laughs> so um, you can tell me which of these publications you would like to hear oh, okay. their list. So Tech Radar did one six days ago. Thrillist did one two weeks ago. Uh, Parade Magazine did one three weeks ago. Uh, CNN, uh, oh no, hang on, no, that, that isn't a rank. Uh, Entertainment Weekly did one two weeks ago. Uh, what Culture did one three weeks ago. Uh, Newsweek. Um, did one one month ago. Uh, Wired did one uh, four weeks ago. So okay. that's your your top entries there. So which of those publications most appeals to you on uh, the ranking order? Hmm. I you know there's actually a few. You know what? To make it easy, let's just do the latest one. Okay, the latest one was from Tech Radar. Okay. Okay. Um, I'm just going to go through what they said. Yeah. I'll do that quickly just to establish the, the 11 movies yeah, and give us like just the kind of spine that we can work through so you can then tell me what your 11 are. Yeah. All right? And you're going to tell me yours, right? I, I'm happy to work mine out as we go. Yeah. I reckon you'll be more immediately able to do it. But I, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I, I, no, I'll, I'll tell you mine as well. No, we'll, okay. we'll both do it. Yeah. That, that's much better. <laughs> we'll both do it. All right. So these are the movies. Following. Yes. Uh, in 11th for yep. them. Interstellar in 10th, so that'll be different to you. Jeez, I'm already fucking struggling. Dunkirk in 9th for them. Tenet in 8th. The Dark Knight Rises at 7. Insomnia at 6. Memento at 5. Batman Begins at 4. The Dark Knight at 3. Inception at 2. And The Prestige at 1. That is... That is a really... That's actually a really fun list because it's like it's like someone who's a Radiohead fan telling you that their best album is The Benz. Right? And The Benz is fucking great. Okay. <laughs> but like yeah, anyway, that's All good. All right, let's so we'll go in the same order and okay. then when we then we can read out what they've said about it, but uh, what would you put as out of the 11 movies, which is your least favourite Christopher Nolan movie? I think, I think it's really obvious and it's The Dark Knight. No, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's following because it's the first one, you know, they were filming it on 
weekends and it's him finding his way and it's enjoyable and it doesn't outstay its welcome and you and it's fascinating to watch as well because you start to see uh someone just uh, developing their craft okay i would also say following i've only ever seen it once but i would i would say following and so they said following i'll read what they said nolan's black and white debut is both his shortest movie it's just 69 minutes long. Oh, that gives it a little extra mark. Get out. 69. <laughs> Maybe Christopher it's Nolan, massive, <laughs> massive fan of 69er jokes, famously. Famously. <laughs> it was actually a clue for Tenet because the six and the yeah. nine yeah. are actually travelling back in time to each other. That was the working title where you didn't want people to know what it was called. <laughs> the original working title was 69, nine. dude. He could release a movie. Yeah. If he came out with a movie that was called 69 Dude, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I get it. It's some sort of... Mate, I would... The I six would, and the nine must mean something times coexisting as if it's 69ing each other. Yeah, I would totally read way too much into it and I'd be wrapped if I turned up and it was just a 57-minute porn. But it's 60, out of order. <laughs> 69 minutes, yeah, you have to put it together. They start fucking and then, yeah, hang on. Wait a minute. Hang on, are they related? Yeah, ends with the like, pizza being delivered. Oh, hang on. He's, no, he's a ste- okay, he's the stepson. That yeah, does make right, much more sense right. with what we saw earlier. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this is coming. Don't you understand? It starts with them fucking and then halfway through it, it goes backwards. And then it ends with where it started. Uh, in a blueprint of sorts for the tropes he would go on to become yeah. the hallmarks in his latter movies. Starring Jeremy... Theobald, Theobald, as a young unemployed writer, Christopher Nolan, writing about being a writer, of course. Of course. uh, Who finds himself partnering up with a slick thief. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) He features a fractured narrative, a big twist, and intense score by David Julian, uh, Nolan's go-to composer pre-Hans Zimmer. Along with an easy-to-spot Batman Easter egg, these were early signs that the fledgling filmmaker was destined for great things. Okay, I'm happy with that. It's really funny. The uh, the Batman sy- uh, symbol was it's just a just an accident, <laughs> you know, because they're using actual people's homes. Right, and know. he didn't know that he was going to make Batman. But yeah. that's great. Still great. But if the real Christopher Nolan actually, this is actually his eleventh movie because what he did was he started with Memento and then he went back in time and he planted that. The real Christopher Nolan is actually in a different universe, currently working on his greatest work of art, the career of Christopher Nolan. Oh, yes. (laughs) I'll see it seven times. (laughs) Okay. In a tenth place, they said Interstellar, but you're not going to say that. What do you reckon? Like, what, what's your? I, I'm going to have to put Tenant here just because I haven't seen it. Okay, yeah, because I sure. can't place it at any place other than this. I'm sure yeah. from what I've heard that it's going to place a little higher than this on my list, probably. But I'm just going to put it there because I haven't seen it, so yeah. it'll be out of the way. But what about you? And anything I say about it will be completely spoiler free because I know people are in places that can't see it and they. You know, they might like to, and I don't want to be the arsehole that ruins that. So, uh, but it's amazing that it's a fourth Batman film. Oh, sorry. No. I mean, that would be amazing. (laughs) That's how I wish he would do a fourth one. Not tell you. Like, drop it like Beyonce. Wouldn't it be great if you just like, yeah, it's my movie, 69, dude. And we've all been speculating for months about what 69 means. And he's just like, no, no. Batman 69. It's a it's a Batman movie in between um, oh, that, 
Well, no, it's in between, we, you couldn't really, I mean, well, technically he's been hiding out in the attic for seven years or whatever at the Dark Knight Rises, right? But what if he hasn't been? What if that's just a MacGuffin? And the reason that he's able to come back so effectively to be Batman in that final one is he's still been doing some Batmaning, like, yeah, every now and again you know, over those seven years, he's ventured back out. You could make another Batman movie in there somewhere. So... I may have written some fan fiction about this. <laughs> For fan fiction comedy, it was the New Zealand show. I'm not completely lonely. <laughs> but when they said, do you want to do the three Sundays? I said, yes. <laughs> and got out something I prepared earlier. <laughs> that was a great show, but Rose Matafeo's uh, incredible, not incredible, but like I, I, not incredible in that I can't believe it, but just, you know, incredible because her rise through the ranks oh, yeah. of comedy has been so you know, stratospheric, really, like, you know, best show at the Edinburgh yeah. Festival. She's insanely and like, good. You know, she's all over the place yeah. in media opportunities and will only, yeah, just put out a special on HBO Max, I think, in in the US. And, you know, she's still, like, what, in her, like, mid-20s or something. Yeah. Like, she's going to be a superstar. And, at, well, she already is a superstar, but she's going to be an even bigger superstar. And at some stage, we're just going to look back and go, yeah, we did fan fiction comedy with her. Yeah, I know. I'm already doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. What I mean at some stage, I mean as soon as I run into someone I can bring that up with, like you right yeah, now. I'm so glad. I only mentioned it so we could uh, – it was a back end way into talking about how we know her and we worked with her. Yeah. <laughs> but I, uh, I always loved the idea that the uh, – so you'd have – uh, like a Godfather type story where you'd have two going, but they'd intersect uh, for the last third, which would be uh, John Blake as Batman. And he's a different type of Batman because he wouldn't have had the ninja training, but he'd be more detective based. And you'd still have Gordon there and Alfred would return to help him out and he'd be working with Lucius. And meanwhile, uh, Bruce and Selina have been closing down the last little pockets of the League of Shadows. And then something goes wrong in Gotham and Bruce has to go back and help out John Blake. And then you have two versions of Batman running around. Like Christopher, oh, so, I'm right here. And then so we see the Batman logo and it's actually the two Batman yeah. in a 69er position. <laughs> see? It's revealed. It's all come together. <laughs> it's a full, time's a circle. Time's and- a circle, mate. <laughs> I thought it was weird when he wanted to call it 69, dude, but all you can think at the end of it, when they're both lying there, they both die. They both die. They both die. In the snow. One one way, one the other. The other way. Heads and toes. And everyone just goes, 69, whoever killed them just goes, 69, dude. (laughs) (laughs) That's the credits going. Uh, so um, what is movie 10 on your list of Christopher Nolan okay. movies? Like it feels for me uh, just really awful about this because I really fucking dig this movie, especially after re-watching it. But Insomnia, I'll put an Insomnia there. I am going to put, and this this is a controversial choice, but... Well, you're, yeah, like Tenet's not in it. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, oh, yeah. So, we'll go to the next. Right, so, no, no, we'll, we'll talk about insomnia. Yeah. No, actually, let's save insomnia. Yeah. Because it's, it's going to be higher up on my list. Yeah. So, we can talk about that then. So, in ninth place, they had Dunkirk. Right. And I said that my choice was going to be controversial, but it turns out I agree with the good people at techradar.com. Yeah, because right. Because I would put Dunkirk as my ninth 
Yeah, it's like I, I liked Dunkirk and I was very impressed by what it is, clearly. It's an incredibly well-made movie and I've seen it number one on some people's lists of his movies. But for me, it was like a, the only one of his movies that I have no desire to watch again. Right. Interesting. I think it uh, is... I don't like war movies. Yes. Or space movies yeah. or underwater movies. Yeah. <laughs> I like them on land, mate. You know how I like them. Just there. Right there. Both feet on the fucking ground, mate. <laughs> but I don't. That, uh, that Very self-confessed. Yeah. I don't like space movies and I don't like war movies and that will uh, be relevant to both my ninth no, pick and yeah, my eighth, eighth pick. pick. <laughs> <laughs> it started to write itself. I was, um, I was actually uh, mildly surprised that it was flipped. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I reckon Dunkirk is... Like, I love Dunkirk. <laughs> you know what? I'm just not no, going to say that bit. No, you're allowed but, to say that. Um, because you're just going to hear it so often. But uh, I saw Dunkirk maybe five times at the cinema. And I think it has possibly one of the best scenes for emotion in any Christopher Nolan film. And there's not one bit of uh, spoken word said where spoken word yeah let me tell you about when my uncle left and I never really had a father figure in my life why he's on the moon sorry I've been listening to a lot of Jules Scott Heron lately <laughs> Christopher Nolan makes another Batman movie 69 dude yeah where he's cast Jill Scott Heron as yeah. the penguin as Jill Scott Penguin Jill Scott Penguin Jill, Jill Scott Penguin <laughs> it's just a take on it it does all this stuff as spoken word yeah that's great who doesn't With want those to those tiny it? little penguin hands yeah have to bring him back from the dead, but you know it's a Christopher well, I mean, Nolan movie. He'd want to do it. I I meant less casting. <laughs> to be oh, fair, right. I did not say this properly. Oh yeah. So sure. your assumption is fine from what I said. Oh okay. But what I was imagining in my mind was less that you cast uh, the corpse of Jill Scott right. yeah, as for the sure. penguin, yeah, and more that the penguin was recast as a. Like a Jill Scott Heron type, type. character, yeah, Jill yeah. Scott Penguin, Jill Scott Penguin, yeah. So not played by Jill Scott. No, no. <laughs> I found his performance wooden. <laughs> that is a criticism of some Christopher Nolan films. Yeah, absolutely. He was dead though. Yeah, come on. And you know that I don't use a lot of CGI, so it's, it's all just, in camera. It's all in. Ca- he's just a dead guy, right. Who else is pulling this off? <laughs> um, but it has that amazing scene where Tom Hardy is flying. Uh, he sees the big German bomber coming. He sees the uh, soldiers in the water. He looks down at his petrol gauge. He realises that if he doesn't leave now, he's not going to get back to London. You see him do all the calculations in his eyes and then he decides he's going to stay and save those soldiers. And it is emotionally the most pitch-perfect uh, scene and not one thing is said and it's all Tom Hardy's eyes and it's great. It's worthwhile re-watching just that scene. I love nothing more than movies where Tom Hardy gets to wear a mask. Oh, so it good. It feels like he's at his, as, at his happiest yeah. if he does not need to show his face in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I want to say to him, hey, mate, these are good movies to show your face in. Yeah. But, you know, if he wants to wear a mask. If he gets enough money, you know how they Steven Spielberg re-released E.T. in uh, the 15th anniversary and took all the guns out and replaced them with walkie-talkies. He'll go back to Inception and put the Bane mask on him. He must have... Uh, <laughs> 
he must have felt really pissed off that he missed out on the lead role in Mask. Oh, yeah. like, you know, yeah. like I've been. Yeah, this is the role I've been preparing for. Oh, no. I mean, he's the only actor who's loved COVID. Yeah, he's like I'm already like this. <laughs> Good I to see you wearing a mask. a mask. What? <laughs> no one cared who I was until I put on the mask. <laughs> this has worked out. What about the man in the iron mask? I'd love to see him remake that. Oh, I would love that. And Ned Kelly, he could do a good Ned yeah. Kelly. <laughs> the movie Mask? Yeah. <laughs> or was that The Mask? The, oh, The Mask. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> rem- I wasn't sure which mask yeah, we no, were talking about. No, yes, he remakes the movie The Mask. mask yeah. Tom Hardy doing, uh, all righty then. <laughs> <laughs> was that The Mask or was that H. Ventura? Uh, it all bled into It was one Jim Carroll. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, hang on. So, so I said you just said Dunkirk. I said Dunkirk, and, and I said I, insomnia. Insomnia. Uh, well, no. Did you say insomnia at? Uh, oh yeah. So ten. it's my so turn. It's your turn. So, so I'm going to go. So just so you understand where I'm coming from, I'm kind of ranking my emotional response to it. Yeah. So here I would put Inception. Yeah. yeah, crazy, right? Controversial. I know. Like I, I could feel it coming. The controversy. Controversial. I'm even slowing down just for the people listening, so they can just catch their breath and go and get a glass of water before I launch into it. Uh, t- tell me, <laughs> tell me why you would say that. Oh yeah, so I love it, but <laughs> and and every time I watch it, I have a like. I love it as much as the last time I watched it and I have a really good time. I think all the performances are fantastic. It's really fun to rewatch it and just decide that Killian Murphy is James Murdoch and that makes the film even more fun on a completely Australian level. And then uh, all the scenes are great and it makes me laugh heaps and I reckon that is like I'm just not a massive DiCaprio fan. Like I, I think he's really good but... I don't really feel any emotional connection with him. And so... So Amy calls him Potato Face. She, she's like... Oh, so how does she feel? Potato Face. She's like, oh, I'd like to watch this, but Potato Face is in it. Oh, uh, yeah. She's not a fan. Uh, I'm going to read out the uh, Dunkirk. Okay. There are a few better examples of the pros and cons of a Christopher Nolan movie than Dunkirk. On the one hand, we get to expertly realised action sequences you'd expect from a blockbuster war movie alongside a stirring... Tick, tick, ticking score from Hans Zimmer. On the other, it's yet another Nolan film with a confusing structure. I don't agree with that criticism, even though it's not my favourite. Three distinct timelines serving to diminish rather than augment the experience. The result is a film that is always visually and technically impressive. I agreed with that. The desperation of the soldiers is palpable from the get-go, but rarely emotionally engaging. I didn't find it particularly emotionally engaging. Uh... They say at number eight, Tenet. Right. What is your number eight? I just have to say that obviously that person just didn't like the structure and if you don't like the structure, then you're not going to be able to enjoy that film and I completely understand that. But I also think it's a movie that by not saying things and this, you engage with it and you, it forces you to fill in gaps as you're going along but also it, force, it it invites you to. It doesn't force you to. It invites you to. And essentially you're watching a movie about a kid that just wanted to take a shit. And you know what? If you can't relate to that, 
Get the Metamucil and rewatch it. <laughs> I've got my movie about the shit and then I'm going to do 69 do. I was like, Christopher, people think you're a genius. But... Um, okay. So the next film that I would put there is, it might change, but I'd probably put Tenet there. Because I think Tenet is great and I've already seen it a number of times and like, I love it. But it is one of those movies where you go, I can see more of why people wouldn't like it, but it is also made up of everything that I like. Well... I'm trying to speak obliquely for you. It would be interstellar for me, as you know, because I don't like space movies. Yeah. Um, All right. (laughs) In seventh place, (laughs) they think The Dark Knight Rises. What would you say is seventh? (sighs) Yeah. So this is going to be, unfortunately, influenced by me re-watching the movies recently and my bias has changed depending on which Batman movie was the last one I watched, <laughs> to be honest. So I'm going to put Batman Begins there. Like, I love it. But it's like, no, I just love it. it you know what? It's the one that I saw furthest away. So, And I also think that, here's what I will say about <laughs> Batman Begins. It is diminished by how good, particularly the Dark Knight is, yeah. by, by how good the rest of it was. Yeah. If it was all we had yeah. of that universe, I think it would be considered further up the list. Do yeah. You know what I mean? Like, not just the night, because if we hadn't seen the Dark Knight, we would have been pretty fucking happy with Batman Begins. Well, I was. There was yeah. a good three years of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was really happy. <laughs> And then, you know, while you're watching it, yeah. you are enjoying it as much as you ever did. It's, uh, you know, it's a good reminder that for people who think his work is really dark and really semi, you know, too overtly serious or whatever, it is important to remember that Batman Begins, the blueprint for that is the Christopher Reeve Superman. And it takes its time. It builds characters. It's really funny. Like there's there's a lot of jokes going all the way through it. You have uh, the changing of a of the movie from the origin of him going to see Zorro and changing it to Mephistopheles, the opera, allows you to go. Oh yeah, this is operatic. This is not the real world. We are watching something that's on a grander scale, and it's it's heaps of fun. And even getting to the end when uh, Gordon pulls out the Joker card, and it's like I know what happens next, and this is still exciting. So it's it's still great. It's the only one of his movies on the rewatch where I've noticed a little bit of CGI, which is interesting. Like there's so many movies that date and that's not a bad thing. It's just things improve. But there's just sometimes where you're watching and going, oh, that doesn't, oh, look, Gotham's not really that. But that was funny to notice. Uh, if he could go back at some stage, he can fix that. And he'll also CGI Katie Holmes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Movie. yeah it's Maggie it's Gyllenhaal. This was, was this always... Maggie Gyllenhaal? Yeah, it will like be... I'm watching this and I can't... Rem- I just have this memory of it being somebody else, but now it just feels like... Is this the Mandela effect? Yeah, the, the Gyllenhaal on? effect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would say Insomnia. I really liked Insomnia. Yeah. And... Uh, Probably like one of the lost brilliant performances by both Al Pacino and Robin Williams. And... I, and so I have a specific memory of this movie that has ingrained it in my consciousness in a way that is, you know, very specific to me. So I was in Western Australia 
And I had been doing a show there on a Friday night. And part of the show was that they'd given me this like penthouse room at this hotel with like heaps of bedrooms and this like huge living area and whatever. And like as part of the payment for the gig, you know, you're going to get this trip over here and why don't you spend the weekend in Perth and we'll give you a really cool pad and whatever. So I went and did my gig and then I had a, like a big weekend, just like, <laughs> you know, I had this great place to party. So I decided I was going to like have a party and like all these people, I ended up doing lights at a Eskimo gig. Eskimo Joe. So it was... Um, Is this right? It was... Yeah, maybe Eskimo Joe, but the Fergusons were yeah. supporting them. Right. And I did lights for the Fergusons, the support act. And right. And like sh- shone it in their eyes in the middle of one of their songs. Amazing. And, well, I don't know how to do lights. Yeah, what it's were you really doing? It's not really my fault. It was more that somebody else let me than I was in the mood to do it. And then, and then <laughs> oh, everybody ended up back at... There's that Triple J comedian who wants to use the lights. He must know what he's he doing. He must know what he's doing. <laughs> there's no way that he could have just come straight from a gig as in already in a mood to party for the rest of the weekend and yeah. suddenly thinks that he could do the lights despite... Like, those buttons just slide up and down. Yeah. Surely I can pick it up as I go along. Yeah, I'll just go with the beat of the song. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, that's the right. Show. I'll, put, I'll put them all up at once and everybody will stop playing because they're blinded by the fucking lights. <laughs> and also think that the show's over. <laughs> so, um, yes, everyone ended up back at this apartment yeah. and there was like a DJ there, like someone brought decks. There was like all these people and this party rolled on for two days. And then on Sunday morning, I had to fly back um, to the other side of the country. And I, my brother was living in Perth at the time and I went over to my brother's house and he said, you know what will help you out here? A breakfast bong. And so... I had like a bucket bong. Do you know a bucket bong? Have you ever had a bucket bong? Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the my blank look is because they're just awful. Awful. Like, I don't know if I'd ever had one at that point. Because oh. I only started smoking pot late in my life, as you know. Yeah, oh my and God. It took it up with a vengeance, made up for lost time. But, you know, but no time like the present. It, none of that was part of my experience doing it. And then I did this. Oh. And after not sleeping for like a day and a half, like two days, yeah. like two nights or whatever, no, it was not a good idea. Hmm. So then I get on the plane and I am not in a good... I mean, this is the time I should have got arrested on the fucking plane. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we all thought it. <laughs> the if irony. They, if they got me this time, I would have been like, fair cop, gum. You are right. Please take me off this fucking nightmare yeah. that I'm currently trapped in because I was... Not good. Like I was in a, like I was feeling terrible and I was freaking out and like, but trying to keep it all internal. But um, (laughs) anyway, so I thought I'll watch a movie because everyone's taking so long to get on the plane. It feels like, you know, I'm sure they were taking the same amount of time as normal, but I was just not, not in a good state to be on a fucking plane or anywhere. And um, so I'm like, I'll watch the movie. And so I start watching Insomnia. Now I've not (laughs) slept for two days. Oh, what a disaster. <laughs> I start watching Insomnia and then I really start to absolutely lose my mind because I realize after about 20 minutes that whatever is about to happen next, I already know that it's going to happen. So I'm watching this movie about this guy who hasn't slept for like, you know, and you know, he's in Alaska or wherever yeah. he is. and. He doesn't, he sleeps and slowly there's this descent into not knowing what's real and yeah. what's not real and, you know, with terrible consequences. So I'm also 
haven't slept, not from insomnia, but I haven't slept and my brain isn't operating properly. And now I'm watching this thing about someone who's hasn't slept and their brain's not operating properly. And yet it seems that my brain is also in a weird way operating at a higher level because I just can predict what's going to happen next to the point where I start to like, I am conscious of it and I go, okay, in this next scene, they're going to like walk into the kitchen and someone's going to go, Hey, this is a nice kitchen. And then <laughs> like they'll walk into the kitchen and someone says, Hey, this is a nice kitchen. I thought I recognized and that line. I am now I'm like, and people are still getting on the plane and it feels like it's been hours because now I'm trapped in the, yeah, the yeah. time of this movie and me not sleeping. And I'm just starting and I've still got to fly five hours trapped yeah. on this like tiny little box. And then the only thing that saved me from it being a really terrible situation was me realising that I'd already seen the movie. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, hang on. Yeah, wait. I saw this movie. Yeah. (laughs) Of course I know what's going on. Oh, that's so funny. I was wondering, it was like, anyway, it was, man, that's very funny. Far out. How long did everyone take to get on the fucking plane? That's well, a long movie. I have no idea. Right. But like, that must have been a while then. But like, I was in a state where I could not. It felt like it was a really long time. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I did not know if that was me freaking out I've or been whether that flights. was actually a really long time. So yeah. you're right. If Like doing your detective work. Yeah. I mean, I think that that moment came after we were up. Anyway, whatever. It doesn't really matter to the point of the story. But the point of the story is me freaking out watching that movie, thinking that I had mental <laughs> powers when it turns out that I'd just forgotten I'd seen the movie. It's a shame because if you'd just forgotten that you'd seen it, you could have had the joy of seeing it first twice. Okay. So they said uh, in eighth place, uh, Tenet, and in seventh, they said The Dark Knight Rises. and we, and I went Batman Begins. You went Batman Begins and I said Insomnia. Okay. In sixth place right so i'm trying to oh i memento once again i love it it's great to re-watch uh guy pierce is well you know i was about to say the most tedious thing in the world hey did you know chocolate cake is chocolatey guy pierce is great like he's but you kind of—it's kind of good to rewatch how great he is. It's a really sweaty movie. It's a really uh, like you can almost smell it, and it's uh, yeah, it's fun to go back over. But I, you know what? I should actually flip Memento and Batman Begins because I really, once again, I really enjoy Memento, but there's no real emotional connection to it. I'd probably put it. I should maybe put it just above Inception. Okay. No, I should put it below Inception. I'm going to put Sorry. Memento. I'm going to put Memento here. Yeah. So I, I about you know what I'll leave Memento in this <laughs> in this world. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh. They also no. So the, hang on. Was it like I can't, I can't remember where we're up. So we'll, we'll, we'll work it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll work run it out of movies. Yeah. But uh. So they said Insomnia was six. Yeah. And they they said Memento was five. So okay, so we so we both think that uh, Memento is six. Yeah, it's uh, out of the top five. Okay, so it's top five now. Now it's okay. getting tough. All right. Um, in f- fifth place, I'm going to put Inception. Okay. Yeah, f- fifth for me, Inception. Um, I think kind of. I mean, I love Inception. This is getting very hard now. Yeah, it is hard. And I love Inception. Yeah. And I've seen it a lot. Mm. But I'm going to rank, I think, these last ones 
on how many times I think that I've individually seen the movies because I love them all mm. and it's very hard to separate them. I'm just going to go on which ones, like in order, mm. which ones I think that I've you know, seen the most up until the most. So I, I would say in fifth place on that would be Inception. Yeah. Yeah. Great film. It's a great film. <laughs> so good to rewatch. Yeah. You forget it's the, and it's the, the, the joy of watching Tom Hardy break out. Like, who is that? Like, I know he'd made other stuff, but the first time where you went, uh, who's that guy stealing every scene that he's in with these big stars? I like Alan Page. Like, Potato Face is yeah. good. Yeah. It's my favorite Potato Face role, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. Yeah, I mean, it's just a pretty great movie to have yeah. as your fifth best movie. <laughs> yeah, like, like you're doing well. Yeah. Uh, I reckon it, uh, anyway, great that it's only one too. All right, so what's your fifth? Uh, so hang on. Uh, fifth, is that what, so yeah, mine was, I said mine was uh, Inception. You haven't said your fifth. No. Yeah. Um, so hang on, what do I have left? I have... Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, The Prestige. I think I'm up to fourth. Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Okay. Okay. That yeah. might be true. Um, so I'll put The Prestige. Like, I love it. It's got my dad in it. But no, no buts. It's just there. <laughs> it's It's just right there. And it's a it's a really fun film. Uh, good uh, good Michael Caine actually. Michael Caine's character is if you ever played Dungeons and Dragons, it's chaotic good. He's he's a he's an interesting kind of. Uh, He's not he's not quite as warm as you think. He's a bit cold and has a bit of a crack. And there's that great scene when he fucking really gives it to Hugh Jackman. And it's a, you know, when I told you that drowning is a peaceful way to go, I lied. It's like, fuck, you know. He's not afraid to drop the hammer on either of those boys when they fuck things up. And so that's an underrated performance in, uh, in a great film. Uh, okay, so my fourth is uh, Batman Begins. Yeah. Yes getting interesting now um i i love batman begins but but yes just it is my least watched of the three batman films yeah i'll tell you my three favorite moves in all the movies <laughs> when we get to the okay well we're getting to the business end yeah. so let's just get into it now so three i'll put the dark knight rises it's three yeah god love yeah. it like i'm okay. really into it i like the thing is, is that as someone who has enjoyed a lot of Batman stories over a lot of mediums over decades, it is the first time that I realized that I was completely invested in Bruce Wayne. Like I'm invested in him as a person. I understand what's going on with him as a character, uh, just as a general ennui to that point in life. And then I, I, constantly bang on about this but i think it's infused with the sadness of heath ledger by not mentioning the joker at all and i think it's got these hidden depths to it and it just has a couple of moments that make me clap <laughs> and i just go oh that's great and it just kind of subverts things in little ways and some really good performances and yeah i just find it like i remember just at the end when he's flying off with the bomb sitting there going i don't, I don't really want him to die and so getting that last scene was like, that's great. And she's got the pearls. So that's kind of why it's up so high for me. Uh, 
I also have it at number three. I, I was just teasing. <laughs> uh, anyone who was playing along was like, well, hang on. <laughs> Why is Will surprised by that? He's yeah. clearly I, still got that movie up his sleeve and it's either going to be third or higher. This yeah. is the way the game works. Yeah. Um, no, I think I agree. And I think that modern times have only rewarded the story that they were telling. Oh, like, holy you know, that shit, is, right? Like, I think at the time some people... I loved that story at the time because they were reflecting things that had already happened. But mm. those that sort of idea of, you know, violence in the street and, you know, like cities falling and civilizations falling and, you know, there being, you know, different responses to that. You yeah. know, we even what we started talking about it that started this, you know, the idea of, you know, this rise of QAnon and these sort of people, it does have a sense of you know, the League of Shadows about it. Like oh, maybe yeah. not in the, you know, necessarily the physical manifestation of that yet. But like these people who think that Trump is this great disruptor who's been sent to, you know, like, I mean. That's bait. Well, you know, and the rhetoric is hiding the nihilism of and, the actions. Right. And then this idea that if he, say, loses the election but, you know, refuses to oh, terrifying. power back over. Like, yeah. you know, the scenes that we're going to see are not that dissimilar from the themes that were explored in that movie. So I think the fact that it managed to, like, land that trilogy, like, complete that whole story, like, still introduce new characters, like, make, you know, there are set pieces from that film that I just absolutely think are, Amazing, and I love the Bruce Wayne in that that we get. Like yeah. you said, you know, you get a bit of Bruce Wayne, but yeah. it's, it's about leaving Batman behind. And even I don't think it wrestles with these things so deeply, but there's enough in there to let you, you know, consider that idea of him going, "Hey, maybe the idea was that this the symbol was important, but now clearly here's what can be done with symbols. Mm. Symbols can be, you know, used to." you know, other things can come of these symbols and mm. they can have disastrous consequences. And maybe the best thing that you can do is you personally step away from this now. Mm. Like, you know, th those stuff, that all that stuff is there in the movie. Even yeah. if it's not like somebody doesn't make a big speech about, yeah, well, I mean, the whole movies are thematic to that, of course. Yeah. But like, yeah, interesting. I think very interesting, like movie, uh, movie that is only dated better, I think. Yeah, and I often find that the people who don't really dig it or like it as much, it's it's. I think it really comes down to. So, who are you invested in in the movie, Bruce Wayne or Batman? And when they say Batman, you go, well, yeah. this movie's not going to work for you because you're thinking, why do you want to give it up? And yet he, they give you a Batman story. Yeah, it's like, an origin story. Like the, you know, there is that. Yeah, that right. Yeah, if you're invested in Batman, this is a story about how the new Batman became Batman. Yeah. So that's there. And that's But you also get this other story about the old Batman stopping being Batman. Yeah. And, you know, these two stories are lying alongside each other in parallel, much like... 69! He's already made the movie! <laughs> <laughs> Nolan! Every time! That's why you talk about them, you find new things. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was great i didn't see it coming for a while there and then I, I didn't get it until i saw you you were you were on the uh lane to take off and i went oh this is about to happen <laughs> but um uh, yes okay it's, but it's 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 also really funny where there's sometimes people 
will criticise it and say, well, how's he going to become Batman? He doesn't have ninja training. And it's funny because they're doing what the movie asks you to do, which is engage with it. And if you engage with it properly, you go, yeah, that's the end of the movie. Like, he's not going to become Batman. And the whole point of this movie was sometimes things have to change to improve. And so... He might not be a ninja, but he's going to be a different type of Batman. And We have to rethink what Batman means because yes. the ninja Batman led to all these other things. Yes. Whereas... Detective Batman. Detective Batman. Yeah. What basically we're saying is defund Batman. Defund Batman. You know, yeah. It doesn't mean literally get rid of Batman. It says yeah. we just want to imagine a different Batman for a different time. Yeah, just a little less coin back down on the street <laughs> where he's meant to be. <laughs> all right, if you want me to make it. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, two movies left. Two I'm movies left. I'm very interested to see yeah. uh, which way you go on this. Feels like a stare down. It's like the end of a card movie. <laughs> Is he going to go the river? Is he going to go the phoenix? Yeah. Because um, there's an obvious option. Yes. Like obvious to, like I think, what, what, what a lot of people would think is right. what we would both say. Yeah. But I'll be interested to see because I, I have a suspicion. Well, he, okay, here's what I'm going to say. Yeah. I think you're going to say... Uh, Dark Knight is your second favourite Nolan film and Interstellar is your favourite. Yeah. So what do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tell you if you're right? Yeah. I already did. Oh, yeah, okay. 69. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Kitchen strikes again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So my two that I have left. I have to uh, say I uh, love The Dark Knight. The, my, my two that I have left. So I, I turn the tables back on you. What? The, the two that I have left are yeah. The Prestige. Yes. And The Dark Knight. Yeah. And you and I am ranking it, mine, on which of those two, because I can't split them. Yeah. If you're talking to me about which of those two that, like I'm really balancing that The Dark Knight, I believe, is a better movie than The Prestige, but I, you know the levels of joy that I think, the press, like I, as in, okay. What I'm this, saying is, this... I, I'm just going. I can't split them on which one I like more because I like them both equally. I could make arguments all day long for how perfect both of these movies are. I am deciding it purely on which of them I believe that I've watched the most. So, which of those two movies, The Dark Knight or The Prestige, do this, you think that I've seen the most? This is like a remake of Sophie's Choice, but set mm. in 2020, and they can't work out which Nolan movie to see. Saffron's Choice. Um, <laughs> I reckon. Fuck, this is actually really tough. Um, I reckon. Even if I'm right about this, I reckon it's by a hair. I reckon you'll go. <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to say, uh, I reckon you go The Dark Knight and The Prestige. Correct. Right. Yes. I believe that I've seen The Prestige more than I've seen yeah. The Dark Knight. And yeah. That's pretty amazing because I've seen The Dark Knight a lot. Like heaps. But The Prestige is. Well, hang on. What about The Dark Knight? Okay. Well, The Dark Knight is just, I mean, it's just an incredible film. Like, <laughs> like yeah, what do you say? Particularly because there's this uh, documentary on YouTube that oh, I've been yes. telling you about, which is a behind the scenes of the Nolan Batman trilogy. And uh, free on YouTube. Yeah. Highly recommend it for anybody who loves, like Christopher Nolan's in a lot talking about, you know, and he is such a, like... He's so unlike anybody else making movies, Christopher Nolan. Oh, yeah. Like, he is really like a nerdy, 
English ponce. Like, like he really well, is like this sort of, but at the same time, you know, generous and brilliant and, you know, a visionary and like. And I think also because he's quiet, mm. I think a lot of people miss his sense of humour. I think they miss it in the movies and I think they miss it when he's talking. He's quite self-deprecating and making jokes and nerdy like he could have been at your book, uh, your movie club. And making little offhand comments, blah, 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 with Null and I, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah. I, I agree. Like, yeah. Even the he's really charming. big overcoats and the. Yeah. Yeah, he's just so English. That's what So he English. He's just so fucking English. Yeah. And. Uh, he, re- he wrote a note to Travis Scott congratulating him on putting his film clip in IMAX and filmed, in, and filmed on film and sent him a congratulatory letter. I mean, all the things that he thinks are important. Yes. Like writing letters and yeah. feel like the way that he, what cinema's about. Yeah. You know, one of my favourite things is like, you know, the idea that cinema's more than just the movie. It's about the mystery and you yeah. know, the lengths he goes to to protect, you know, secrets and, you know, all these sort of things. Like, just, He's a really old-fashioned futurist. I, I love it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's brilliant and he talks about the idea of when he cast, yeah, that he'd seen Heath Ledger for um, Batman. Yeah. You know? And then Heath had actually contacted him about the Joker and they had to sat down, sit down and they just were on the same page. And how when when he cast him, then there was just all this backlash from people going, this is going to ruin Batman. And I was definitely one of those people because right. like, I had had a bad time with Heath Ledger. Yeah. Like, and I just wasn't a fan. It, I could not see it. It just didn't work for me. And so I feel like his performance is, I mean, still to this day, it's probably my favourite just performance of any kind in any movie by anybody oh it- i just think every bit of it is so rewatchable just like i've watched the the whole of the dark knight so many times but the amount of times i've just watched the bits that he's in like would be you know a third more because oh, yeah it is just one of the greatest you know screen performances of any kind i love it It it's so entertaining and so interesting and so intelligent and so provocative and like you know just the idea that he was doing his own makeup and Hmm. you know what he brought to the role his understanding of it i just think it's 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 stunning and and funny and terrifying all at once as well and it's a very hard thing to get and uh, i actually think tom hardy's a little bit underrated in that regard as bane i think i think bane's really funny as well but funny in that way funny. where he's funny yeah it, but funny i know <laughs> but funny in that way where you meet a guy at five in the morning at a pub because you've been to all the other clubs yeah. and this is the place you've gone because it's the only place open yeah. then you're talking to that guy and he has a funny voice and then yeah. he says something where you go oh i'm gonna be buried in a ditch yeah i have to leave right now funny because he's hard yeah yeah. Time to go. Yeah. That's bang. Oh, what a lovely, lovely yeah. voice. Bang. Yeah. <laughs> and Heath Ledger is uh, that same thing where, you know, from it like in seamless moments in each scene, you can be laughing and then go, oh, Jesus, what was that? And then laughing again. I mean, he's super hilarious, but he's just got that energy of, <laughs> like of someone who you are terrified yeah, From, you know, you, just every part of it. When when that cop when he says, "How many of your friends did I kill?" and the cop gives him a speech, and then at the end he says six, and the way he looks at him and just mouths six, <laughs> like, "Oh, sorry." You know, one one of the <laughs> underrated bits of that movie is like what he does in that when he's got his head out the window, you know, oh the yeah, car, yeah, and 
like that wet stringy hair the hair and he's like he licks his lips and then he kind of has this moment where he just like you know, yeah violently shakes his head and yeah every bit of it like there's this whole journey that he goes on where you just get that's the sense of the whole character yeah just there this he's all those things all at once and they all make sense together and yeah. you're just like oh yeah i get this guy this guy's terrifying yeah this movie like he's loving it yeah but he's also fucking terrifying at the same time yeah and this movie's so brilliant. Nobody ever thinks to talk about the moment when Batman goes to Hong Kong and gets Chow, which is spectacular. So, so good. <laughs> and I no one to, talks about when it. When I went to Hong Kong, I specifically went to that building. In fact, yeah. I've visited in real life a lot more of the Dark Knight because I went to the Hong Kong building when I was in Chicago. I yeah. walked around all the Dark Knight <laughs> oh, places. Yeah. Yeah. So. Might see him. Yeah. Uh, all right. So for me, yeah, and, and I'll, number one is the prestige. Yeah. And... Just because I love the conceit of the movie so much. <laughs> so good. Like it is. I love it. They tell you what the trick is. Yeah. They, the fact that they tell you what the trick is, literally tell you what the trick is, they, they tell you and you don't believe them. Yeah. That's what I love about that movie the most is. It is revealed, well, it's revealed to be two things, obviously, one of them magical and one of them literally you know, what you told it was. It's yeah. got it's got to be a body double. It was. It yeah. was a body double. Yeah. They're twins. I'm sorry <laughs> if there's anyone's spoilers for the fucking prestige. But, yeah. like, Michael Caine tells you how a magic trick works and then the movie is the magic trick. Yeah. And they tell you the whole time how the trick works and what the trick is. The movie constantly is trying to tell you what is going on. And yet it is constructed in a way that you don't believe what is going on. Yeah. And then for me, just that extra level of like, as a performer, (laughs) I think it really (laughs) speaks to you about, because there are those two really distinct motivations and we've seen them and been them. Like, you know, being around our industry is not that different to being around, like, you know, magicians, you know, and in fact, sometimes they cross over, you know, there's a little Venn diagram between the two. But this idea of like someone who's all about the craft and someone who thinks there's a trick, you know, that yeah. there is a way to get through it. And whether your motivation is to be the best at what you do or your motivation is to be, it's what we started talking about at the start of this podcast, which is this idea between, quantitative and qualitative and how you measure things. And at the prestige, that's what's at the heart of that. How far will you go? And are you going there to be the biggest or are you the one who wants to be the best and how committed are you to those things? And they both make incredible sacrifices. Like, you know, one of them's living half a fucking life the entire time just so that they can, you know, pull off this trick and the ramifications of that. And the other one is it's slumming it. it yeah, but well, no, I no, but I was like talking about oh well. So Hugh Jackman's character, yeah. of course, in the end sacrifices himself because oh yes, are you yes. the person who goes into the box or yeah. out of the box? And, and he are you the person who like survives or doesn't survive? Yeah, you know, um, you know, and are you willing to die night after night? You know, for the sake of this fucking trick. But no, but the other ones are living half a life because they're literally living half a life each. Yeah. You know? Like one life for, for two people and the ramifications that has and how it destroys people around them. And, like, it, and it makes sense as comedians why uh, you would love it as well because it's 
it's working on craft with people that you're friendly with. Sometimes you're not so friendly with. There's, it's a bit competitive and you're going and seeing other acts. Like the moment when they go and you both realise that they've gone to see this Tesla experiment, uh, it's like two pub comedians who have never heard of this new guy, Ross Noble, <laughs> and they've gone and there's been some kind of, I just don't even know what I just witnessed, but that is magical you know it's on a completely different level how do i get that you know so it kind of has that kind of flavor for it as it well it should have been called how'd you get that how'd you get that if it was a comedy movie that's what it would have been yeah, called the prestige comedians. in brackets how'd you get how'd that how'd you get that gig <laughs> The, uh, so because we, we covered that one on uh, the Big Squid podcast and did a bit of research and ended up on some really fun Reddit pages, some that are just pointing out the moments that uh, which uh, which Borden is, uh, which one's Borden and at which time, which you, bail completely underrated. You can tell when each one's you the other tell. twin. Yeah. Like he's just, he does something very... Yeah, he does enough. Oh, it's just that like one's just... A, yeah. bit fucking aggressive yeah. and the other one's just a little bit nicer and it's really it's really uh i hate to say it magical <laughs> um but uh well, oh yeah and but then other reddit pages where people have just like they are looking for everything like one of the threads was that andy circus is tesla and bowie is actually the assistant and that's the whole double act going on there which i don't believe because um why would dad play the assistant but it's uh <laughs> i mean david bowie sorry freud um but anyway but i tell you what that was a fun thread to go down it's a, it's a, such a good movie and it rewards like just you thinking about the idea of it yeah like i, I that's what i like about yeah. it yeah like and you know how important is fame how important is dedicating your life to like a trick does it matter if the trick is real or yeah. not real like all those things i those themes i find really fascinating so that's yeah. that's the only thing that probably elevates it in that if if it's on in fact even just talking about it now i'm like i've got Maybe go and watch it now. <laughs> Good to see Hugh Jackman playing a bit of an arsehole as well, because it's uh, because he's naturally charming. Him playing an arsehole is doubly effective. This is one of the reasons I like the movie a lot as well. Is that like I love Hugh Jackman, but mm. I don't necessarily love Hugh Jackman in things. Yeah, and right. So like, I'm glad that there's a movie that I can really. Yeah, I think his performance is great when he has to play his own body double. Like yeah, drunk. Oh, dot, yeah, guy. It's yeah. Like that's some a, really funny stuff, and it. it's good comedy. One of the questions Ben and I ask uh, that we talk about is: Would you have preferred this as a movie, or would you prefer it as a TV series? And we were really enjoying. I think, if I remember correctly, we were thinking like an eight-part series. But then you'd like get a whole episode with that actor because yeah, we really guy. wanted to hang yeah. out with him. <laughs> He's so funny when he grabs himself on the knob. It's so funny. He's and he's having a good time too. He's having the best time. Yeah, he's the only one who's actually fucking understands what. Go- like, yeah. yeah, the other two are fucking destroying each other yeah. and themselves in the pursuit of this thing. And old mate, fucking drunken, carousing body double. He's actually the only one who gets it. Like when he falls down and then he looks over and he's having a swig of a drink before he goes up and he's missed the catch. It's so fucking funny. He's backstage reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. He's like, guys. <laughs> It's the new way. Yeah. I was talking to Scarlett Johansson last night. Look at me. Look at me. <laughs> uh, so Interstellar. Why yeah. is Interstellar number one for you? So it is 
you know what? It just has like he already makes movies that are full of things that I'm into. Like even Memento finishes with a Bowie track. Like thank you. Like we are quite clearly. Uh, I'm going to be a fan of yours because we obviously are into a lot of the same things. And Interstellar is. I've always loved. I've always loved space stuff. Even as a kid, uh, was fascinated, particularly from a long time as a as a youngster, about the Apollo thirteen flights and all of that kind of stuff. So the aesthetic of it really appeals to me. I'm a fan of the movie Two Thousand One: A Space Odyssey, and this feels like it's in conversation with it to a certain extent. I think McConaughey's great. I think that opening scene in the fields is beautiful i love the music the music really hits me on a very emotional level i love the twist of having matt damon turn up as dr man and you go oh, of course it's matt damon he's the best of them and then it turns out he's awful and you go oh matt damon what a trick <laughs> and then you've got michael kane in it just being wonderful and it's oh no he's awful as well oh that's two tricks in the same fucking movie i love the absurdity of watching the astronauts fighting on another planet i think the moment when he has to dock the plane and even when he, she says to him what are you doing and so I'm going to duck the plane and she's like no that's like impossible no it's necessary I know it's a bit corny but it's right on the money for me I love that whole scene I love the music I think it's a really romantic moment when he turns around and you realise he's going to sacrifice himself he's going to sacrifice himself so Anne Hathaway can live yeah nice one McConaughey and then he ends up in a fucking black hole that is this fifth dimensional place and it's suddenly like oh you know what you've done you've blown me away for a whole film and now you're taking a big fucking swing to bring this home i'm into all of this and it all comes with a big scene where they do a close-up of his watch and my name is there hamilton it's got everything i need in a film uh people can watch, uh, listen to the big squid <laughs> sorry i blacked out halfway through that uh, <laughs> uh the dark knight <laughs> uh yeah so people can listen to the big squid it's uh excellent world that you're crea- creating and i think this is one of the things that uh, you know, it occurs to me more and more that we're going to have to fight hard mm. for us to rebuild in a good way after yeah. all this. And I think that what you're doing is you're building your own little world of things that are just interesting to you and your world. And like, as you said, it doesn't, it's about a bunch of things. It's, and it's a cool space to go and hang out in. So I highly recommend that people go and hang out in your cool space. Oh yeah. It's, it, when is this coming out? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. Well, if, if anyone's not doing anything on the 3rd of October, if you're in Sydney, we're doing a live show at the New Giant Dwarf. And if you're not in Sydney, you can stream it from... Oh, yeah. So how does that work? Where do people find the details? So giantdwarf.com.au. It's going to be... A, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this. It's a one-hour show, mm-hmm. and I booked Ben Elwood, uh, Richard Feidler to talk about his new book, uh, Rebecca Melrose, young comedian, uh, Beck Day Namuno, mm-hmm. one of our great improvisers, right. and Georgia Mooney is going to uh, come and speak and right. play some music. So it's a five-hour show. So that's <laughs> why I thought you would enjoy that. <laughs> it's a one-hour show that goes forever. <laughs> uh, well, definitely watch that. That will be super entertaining, and it's good to support uh, the new Giant Dwarf as well yep. uh, with what they are doing. They're an incredible Sydney venue, and they've had to change, obviously, spaces. And yeah. You know, new like, space is beautiful. Like everybody trying to pivot through this time and do interesting things. Incredibly supportive of the Australian comedy community. So yeah. uh, check out Giant Dwarf and uh, also, um, you know, check out that show. That'll be awesome. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, Justin. Thank you. Thank you.